0: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip.
1: Oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two-Man Power Trip
2: Podcast.
0: This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the friends of pro wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip.
2: This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie-woogie man. Tell my people on my brothers, and sisters. Don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of
0: show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey,
3: John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Oh, uh, Chad. Okay hey man what's up guys this is Homicide. oh that's my homie homicide
0: with a big homie club yeah that would be it
3: hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling
2: On television. People stay up all day long to see me wrestle on television. You run away from Dusty Roads, Magnum TA.
3: I've been chasing you around the world, can't never find you. But I found you today. You wanna to wrestle me? I'll wrestle you. Plain and
4: simple. You wanna wrestle me? Plain and simple, Jack. You wanna put your reputation and your career on the line. You wanna wrestle me. You got it. You want to wrestle Ric Flair? Put your Um, belt where
3: your mouth is. You probably don't have any money, you probably spend it all. But put your belt where your mouth is. That's all I gotta say. Nothing flashy about Ronnie Garvin. I'm flashy in a square circle. How's that? Next
0: week,
4: I'll be here. You want to wrestle me on television next week? Don't walk away from me, Garvin! Don't walk away when I'm standing out here! You want to wrestle me on television next week? I'll buy the whole damn hour. Uh, Right at the top of the fence, Rick. Oh! is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling and you are listening to episode number 262 of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling podcast a podcast that can be heard two times a week and downloaded from any of the places that you get your weekly podcast from whether it's iTunes or Player FM Podomatic Google Play or TuneIn Radio you never know who's going to be on the other end of the line of the two man powership of wrestling and like I said you can get that two times a week from wherever you get your podcasts from and with that being said if you didn't know by now my name is Chad and as always I'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only John Paz. and John today we are so proud to bring this interview finally to air featuring former NWA champion and absolute Wrestling legend, Rugged Ronnie, hands of stone himself, Ronnie Garvin, joining the two-man power trip of wrestling for an hour and 20-minute interview spanning his entire career, and what a career it definitely is. Like I said, an NWA champion, but that just being the icing on the proverbial cake of an absolutely iconic career, spanning decades' worth of travels through so many territories, wrestling internationally, wrestling, obviously, in Canada, wrestling in the States, wrestling all over the world. But Ronnie Garvin is such a classic case of the old-school tough guy, a guy who could just literally walk into a bar, probably take out every single person in the bar, walk out, and then take out every single person in the parking lot. Just a classic tough guy you don't want to mess with, and we get to hear a lot of stories that pertain to him being a classic tough guy. But there's so many great things to tackle in an episode with Ronnie Garvin. And it's hard to hit everything, but we try as hard as we can to hit the high points of his career. And obviously talking Ric Flair in the NWA Championship, talking his personal feud with Randy Savage and how that played out even when they ended up back in the WWF together in the late 80s after having a gigantic feud uh, personally, uh, earlier in Randy Savage's career, uh, but then to see Randy Savage leading the old troops in the WWF in the late 80s while Ronnie was there, we kind of get to uh, dive deep into that. But then also, we kind of look into the relationship he had with a lot of different promoters. Uh, we talk about his relationship with his stepson, Jimmy Garvin. I mean, there's so many things that I'm so jazzed up While we're recording this, because this is an interview that I think will help define what this show is. And please, I'm going to stress this again in a few minutes, but please spread the word of the two-man power trip of wrestling. The guest list speaks for itself. I know John is chomping at the bit to talk Ronnie Garvin. I haven't even discussed the great feud with Greg the Hammer Valentine, which if you listen to our episode, our two-year anniversary episode with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, we cover his take on the Ronnie Garvin feud, but John, that's what I want you to lead off with if you can. Talk about that feud, how much you and I personally love it. It's one of our favorite feuds of all time, but then kind of get into some of the other cool things that I didn't get a chance to mention about this Ronnie Garvin interview because I know this is one you and I were literally giddy for as we were getting ready to record this and doing the research, and I always say, when you can do the research and you enjoy it and it's not work Then you know it's going to be an amazing interview, and Ronnie Garvin obviously fits that category of an amazing interview. So, John, take it away, and why don't you give us some of your take on what we have to look forward to here with this Ronnie Garvin interview.
0: Yes, Chad. Back again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we are killing it lately with legends and big names. And I absolutely love, and this is my favorite part, is when we have a big-time legend a huge guy that I was a fan of for many many years somebody I really enjoy and this is the type of guy that we love having on this show going a little bit old-school and throwing it back there with rugged Ronnie Garvin aka the hands of stone and one thing like you mentioned and one thing that we do definitely talk about in the interview is that he may be small in stature to some but he is a legit tough guy and he can definitely kick a lot of ass, and it's awesome to uh, hear some stories of Ronnie Garvin and to hear some of the stories about Andre the Giant and things like that, but it's great that you you, you know, you think of a guy a certain way, and you're like, man, this guy's stiff or this guy's tough, and then you find out he's a legit tough guy who can, you know, legit kick these guys' ass, it adds to the allure of the guy, adds to the legend of the guy, and it definitely adds to Ronnie Garvin a bit, and I just love that kind of going in because when you look at some of his feuds and some of his epic feuds, like against Ric Flair, for instance, for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, and you think, "Man, those guys are stiffing the hell out of each other," and then you think to yourself, well, wow, Ronnie Garvin and you know his hands of stone could probably legit uh, kill Ric Flair right now." And and we go into depth about the chop fest that they had and that awesome feud that they had and him winning the NWA World Title. So that is definitely a high water mark. In this interview, for sure, and then of course, you know, we're gonna talk Vince, we're gonna talk to Crockett, we're gonna talk Dusty, we're gonna talk all that stuff. But we do talk WWF specifically, his epic feud against Greg Hammer Valentine, kind of why he signed with the WWF, why he left the WWF, you know, why did he retire from the business, things like that. But we really wanted to focus in on some key feuds, like the Flair feud, and of course like the feud with Greg the hammer Valentine that really stuck out to me and if anybody gets a chance check it out 1989 MSG card Garvin Valentine was rated one of the best matches of the year and we talked about it in the interview they like each other up in that match I mean stiff chop fest for sure man they are going back and forth stiff hitting each other as hard as can as hard as they can I just love it any of their matches I absolutely love they're all great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the two-man power trip interviewing another huge, big-time legend. Take it away, Chad.
4: One thing that is for damn sure is they don't make him like Ronnie Garvin anymore. They don't make these rough-and-tumble guys that literally could kick the crap out of anybody that he wanted to at any given minute. And these are the kind of folks, just like you said, John, that when we get to interview them, these are the ones we want to hear the stories. These are the ones we want to hear the breakdown of some of the feuds. And Ronnie Garvin's just an interesting guy overall. He's got his pilot's license. He's had a great career after leaving wrestling. And uh, all in all, I got to say, this is one that I never expected we'd ever be able to get on the show. But I tell you, every time you listen to this episode or this show... You never know who's going to be on the other end of the line when you listen to the two-man power trip of wrestling, and I ask you to please, if you're listening to this, share this episode, share. The Two Man Power Trip. Get the word out there. It's turning heads in a lot of exclusive wrestling circles, but we want everybody to hear about the Two Man Power Trip. You literally are going to be shocked to see some of the interviews that we have coming up. So please get the word out there about the Two Man Power Trip. Listen to what John has to tell you in the Two Man Power Trip of wrestling business. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this. So, John, as the music starts to creep in, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Hands of Stone, Rugged Ronnie Garvin.
0: And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Two Man Trip, and at Rasslin Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno Sammartino, the late, great American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jeffrey McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Onder, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you could please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then... Follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 cause you never know where we may land. And now without any further ado a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion he was once known as the One Man Gang You may know him as Rugged, we know him as the Hand of Stone, he is Ronnie Garvin. Please enjoy.
1: to say the least, because joining us on the line tonight is an absolute 100% legend of professional wrestling. And I love introducing somebody with this. He's a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He's been known as Rugged, but we'll never forget his hands of stone. He is the one and only Ronnie Garvin. Thank you so much for joining the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling.
2: Well, it's a
3: pleasure. It's very good. It's a very... uh pleasure to talk to you guys and uh, I do quite a few anyway every now and then what else can a guy that's retired has nothing to do <laughs> so, but but do a lot of talking
1: <laughs> hey listen it's always good to go down memory lane it's always great to talk about so many of the great memories that I know at least as a fan we've got them and uh John and I you know we've been friends for going on about 15 years and one thing that John and I shared growing up was a huge Huge love of Ronnie Garvin, both huge fans as kids, as adults. And I guess, you know, as you say, you got a lot of time to, uh, you know, reminisce and look back. How have your uh, post-wrestling days been treating you?
3: Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I'm the luckiest man alive. I've been doing about anything I want, uh, fishing, hunting, and uh, I do a lot of uh, uh, appearances and autographs, stuff like that. Always staying busy. So nothing is boring, and I run into a lot of guys. uh, I run into a lot of guys that uh, I was down at a luncheon in Tampa, and there was probably twenty-five wrestlers there, old timers, and uh, some of those guys I hadn't seen in thirty-five years.
1: Oh wow, yeah, Uh, that was a big one. That uh, that luncheon, there was a lot of guys. Uh, That was a uh, that was a pretty big event. But you know, like you said, you haven't seen guys in thirty-five years. You know, when you see somebody that you haven't really talked to in that long, like, what's the first thing you guys want to uh, you know you want to dig into after uh, finally sinking back up?
3: Well, the first thing you try to figure out who they are, and if they don't have a name tag, well, you're out of luck.
2: <laughs> you got to ask
3: them, "What's your name?" <laughs> and some guys don't change, but some guys, uh, you know, you just uh, they're they're bigger, they're older, they're grayer, they're bald, and So anyway, that's part of life. We all change, you know. And I imagine it's the same thing with me. When they look at me, they probably don't know who I am.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, these conventions and these events, there's, there's so many cool things going on now, and it seems like, you know, every couple of months you see a new one, whether it's down there in Charlotte with the Mid-Atlantic Fan Fest, or there's a lot of stuff going on in the Northeast, or obviously WrestleMania has become like, you know, the uh, like the Star Trek uh, convention scene every year for WrestleMania. It's always a big deal, but uh, I guess that kind of says, you know, says that the wrestling business is doing okay, but... I guess this is an easy question because it's usually a yes or no, but do you get the chance to ever watch any wrestling now in
3: 2016? Nope. I have not watched wrestling on television probably in, I I want to say, 15 years or more. Uh, For some reason, I don't know when it's on. I don't watch a whole lot of TV except for maybe the weather channel, so I know what I'd address when I'm hunting or fishing. (laughs) <laughs> stuff like that. Nah, I'm not much into TV. Uh, I think I watched more television during this past election than I, I have watched in 25 years. Because it, it was kind of a pretty entertaining. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, I think it was. It still yeah, is.
1: It's crazy. You know, we've uh, we've talked to not only, you know, people in wrestling about the election. We've talked to people like, you know, entertainers, comedians about the election. It seems like everybody's got something to say about it. But I think the funny part is now is we actually have a wrestling tie-in that uh, Donald Trump, uh, also he's a WWE Hall of Famer. We can't forget that. But the fact that he named Linda McMahon to his, uh, his cabinet is uh, one of the uh, – I guess it's one of the most surreal things about, you know, the wrestling connection to Donald Trump. But uh, did you ever see the McMahons kind of getting political there and actually being a part of a presidential cabinet?
3: Well, you know, I, I, Elena McMahon will do a great job. She's a very, very, very smart lady. And uh, But, you know, I, I never knew till about, I guess, a couple of years ago that he was in the Hall of Fame that he had wrestled. I never knew that. <laughs> and somebody told me, and I looked it up, and uh, <laughs> something with one uh, uh, of Vince cutting his hair or something—I don't know—I didn't see the match. But somebody was telling me all about it, and I said, "You got to be kidding!" And uh, he's in the Hall of Fame.
0: Crazy, crazy what? times. Crazy. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the world of entertainment. You know, <laughs> what, what can you say? If it's yes. successful and it ma- makes money, go right ahead. I mean, I'm for it. He
0: uh, he actually he he beat up Vince and he shaved Vince bald. That's uh, oh, that's did that. He? That a, yeah, that was that really. A Is there a video?
3: There's got to be a tape of that. I'd never. I'd love to oh, see yeah. it.
0: Oh yeah, probably YouTube or or the WWE Network or something like that. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely uh, they'll yeah. definitely have it.
3: I'm not much of a of a computer guy, <laughs> I'm still living in the in the in, in the stone age. I, I communicate with uh, smoke signals. So <laughs> uh, on a windy day, I, I'm uh, I'm out of luck. <laughs> no. Uh, my wife does the computer thing. It's like uh, this new technology. I just uh, that's not me. I don't have time for it.
0: I I, I get you on that. I mean. Uh... It's a bit much at times. I mean, sometimes it's good, uh, sometimes it's bad. But uh, one thing that's great about it and that I saw not too long ago, somebody actually put together um, a little bit of a highlight video of you and Ric Flair and that legendary feud. So sometimes you go on YouTube, you find some cool stuff. And I just definitely, I, I mean, I wanted to get into your time in the NWA in Jim Crockett Promotions, can you kind of take us back to that Ric Flair feud because that's kind of the first thing that sticks out in my mind. You guys, I was didn't...
3: in the NWA all my career. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, yep. But you
3: know, yeah. I don't, I don't think I ever wrestled yeah. till at the end. Uh, the WWF. Uh, every promotion I wrestled from the beginning of my career was NWA. You know, well that that was the the, the biggest, largest organization in my days. You know, the oldest and the oldest It was way, way before uh, WWF. You know, so yeah. I, uh, to me, wrestling. You know, I tell people a lot of people. You said, uh, "Well, a legend." I, for some reason, I don't buy that. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's a compliment. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, you know, but I don't consider myself a legend. I just consider myself somebody that wrestled, made a living, and uh, did the best I could. And uh, the only way you're going to make any money in any business is you're, that you're going to go into it to get to the top. And I, I did that. And uh, I don't know. After that, he kind of lost his lust, lust, and and uh, the traveling. And I, I had enough. Uh, in WWF, well, that, that two years I spent there, and that's when I really decided to uh, to hang it up. Uh, I had a good time there, but. I told a lot of people I didn't think I belonged there, you know, (laughs) know, because wrestling was not mandatory. You didn't know how to wrestle there. Uh, You know, like I told Vince, I I can't sing, I can't dance, and I can't rock and roll. So that puts me out, (laughs) you know, and uh, I just, I I liked it, but uh, like I say, I was, felt like it was just, uh, I was in the wrong place. And I was treated good, uh, no complaint. But uh, yeah, it was time for me to go, and I did. And I got into aviation, and I flew uh, cargo planes for thirteen years. After that, I had the best time of my life. As a matter of fact, if I would have started flying cargo when I was twenty years old, I probably would have never wrestled. <laughs> That's how much I liked it. Yeah, you know? but it is what it is. You know, I had a great career, no complaints and uh, very fortunate.
0: That would have been better uh,
3: for us, Ronnie Garvin fans, though. <laughs> I, I think it is a compliment. You know, people say a lot of things, in it, but to me, it was strictly a job. Believe me, that's how it's treated it. I went to work and uh, couldn't wait to get home. You know? And I, I had other, uh, I did a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting in my spare time, but the wrestling was my main game.
2: You know, and uh, I don't
3: think I don't think I don't think if I get in wrestling today, uh, that I could do that. Hmm. There's no way I could do what they do. You know, I, um, <laughs> you know, wrestling to me was wrestling. Today it is uh, they call it wrestling, but I don't see a lot of it. You know, I have. Uh, well, it, it, it was like that almost after, but five, five, six, seven years after I quit, you know, a lot of talking, there's a lot of, uh, which is great. I mean, it draws big crowds, and, but I actually think wrestling is dead all over the country in, in, in the sense that you have big crowds, you have uh, WrestleMania, you have a lot of pay-per-view, but imagine this, there was wrestling in towns uh, like the Carolinas, there was two cities every night of the week, week after week after week. The North Carolina, the Georgia, the Florida the territories, the Oklahoma, the Texas, they were wrestling every single week in the same town, and and they were packing them in, in you know small venues, smaller venues, but it kept thousands and thousands of wrestlers uh, working. There was thirty-two different promotions. You never ran out of work. Today, I don't know where they go. Once they've done a WWF, where would you go make a living? Unless you go to Japan, maybe out of the country. And uh, that's the only thing I've had. A lot of young wrestlers ask me uh, about some uh, advice, and I said, "Well, I don't know what to tell you. You're you're kind of uh, caught between. You know, you're in a situation. Where do you go?" after you leave that promotion? Unless there's other promotion that I don't know of, because I don't follow the wrestling. Is there any big promotion around except for WWE?
0: Basically, they're the, the big dogs in town. There's a bunch of smaller promotions, but no one...
3: Yeah, but they don't make promoted. no money. They can't make a living.
0: No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can make a Yeah, I've, I've,
3: I've been to a couple of places signing autographs on, on a Saturday or... A Friday nights at the, these small venues and, you know, they got 200 people. if They're lucky, you know, and I'm going, wow, you can't make a living doing that. You know, and I guess they do it just for fun or, or you
2: know, for,
3: for their own pleasure. Yeah. But, you know, I, every, everything changed. Every sport's changed over time, you know. And wrestling is what it is today and 20 years from now or even sooner. It'd be something else. It'd be wrestling, but it'd be in a different uh, form, format, you
0: know. Definitely. You know, you mentioned before, um, you, you know, basically, you know, it's strictly a job for you, but you don't consider yourself a legend. We definitely consider you a legend, but you did reach the top of the mountain. You were the NWA world champion, which not a lot of people could say, and especially at that point when the NWA title meant so much. So what was it like winning the NWA title from Ric Flair?
3: Well, it was a nice big paycheck that was my bottom line I, it, it, everything else did not excite me and I felt that being honest honestly uh yeah yeah I accomplished something yeah, I can't say you didn't, didn't do it, but it was just, my main goal was was uh you know get to to, to the top. money the whole thing was the object was money is what how much money do I make a year how much money? I'm looking at my retirement, I'm planning everything in my life, and uh, a lot of people didn't do that. You know, I didn't go to bars drinking, I'm not a partier, and I didn't uh, uh, have all the women in the world, like Ric Flair, I didn't uh, uh, ride the limos, I told people, I says, if you see me in the limo, I'm driving it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be with the little the guy in the front with the little hat driving the limo. <laughs> you know, my, both of my feet are on the on the ground, you know, I, I'm not, uh, never dreamed, you know, the only, uh, dreams I had is to be successful, but, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I tell people, I says, I'm just like anybody else, you know, I put my pants one leg at a time, you know, and, uh, just like everybody else, and, uh, I had a good life, and I, uh, really appreciate the wrestling fans. Without the wrestling fans, you, you know, you wouldn't make any money. You would, they made me a living. You know, the fans paid more Everything I have today is because of wrestling fans. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, That's- and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the glory and all the rest. I can, I, I'm not interested in that. I mean, really. And uh, ever since I quit wrestling, I don't ever tell people I wrestled. If they don't recognize me, I'm just as happy as, you know, just... Uh, and I don't tell anybody what I do, you know, Uh, because I, I, first of all, I I think it's nice to have a, uh, kind of be incognito, you know, I love it, you know, I love it, you know, and if somebody recognizes me, yeah, I'll I'll tell them, I'll, I'll I'll talk to people, I mean, I'm not a, but there's you know, I, I, I hated to hang around wrestlers that we, we'd go in a restaurant to eat. And they, you know who we are. And I said, I want to crawl under the damn table. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know who we are. Well, if they don't know, that's great. You know, just go about your business. Eat your food and leave. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: You know, uh, you can't live on glory, you know. doesn't pay your bills, you know, doesn't do anything. You know, and a a big ego, uh, I think you die early if you have a big ego. It's too hard to carry. (laughs) You'll have back problems. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I never had an ego, you
0: know. It's funny because you're like the polar opposite of Ric Flair, who was that big feud of yours and the guy you beat for the NWA title. Did you, Flair, get along?
3: The what now? Say that again. You
0: wouldn't. Did you and Rick Flair get along? Because it seems like you guys are total opposites.
3: I've never seen him since
0: 1987.
3: Oh, wow. No, well, I don't hang around in that kind of world. You know, it's a bullshit world. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I mean, come on. Really. I mean, it's, you know, but hey, to each yourself, you know. It's his life. And you, you live it the way you want to, but uh, I don't respect stuff like that. Yeah, I think to me you're a goof, you know. Uh You blow your money away, Uh, you wind up uh, uh, down the road, uh, you know, broke. Look at sports, look at entertainment, you see people like that. They, They had everything, everything, and the last part of their life was just misery.
0: Did you get along with him back then, in, in, you know, in 87, when you guys were feuding and stuff? Because it seems like you guys wouldn't uh, wouldn't get along too well.
3: Uh, I Like I say, I, I, I know very little of him. Very little. What, what I know is what, he, what I hear and uh, what I see and what he says. And what he says, people says he's done. Well, then you're a fool. You know? I mean, if, uh, <laughs> to me, that's not the kind of life that I want to live, hmm. you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, why, why go through all that and and, and 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 at the end of your life, like I said, that uh, you know, heard uh, financially the guy was hurt. Uh, heard all kinds of story. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, you know, I wish him the best. I mean, he's never done anything to me that. Uh, but you know, I respect people that are are are, are down to earth. People that uh, accomplish things without having to brag about all their feats in the world—how many women I slept with, uh, how many drinks I can have in one night—and uh, and, uh, you know, driving the Mercedes and taking limos—and uh, what was it? Uh, the, the famous line he used to have: uh, uh, "The limousine ride and jet
0: flying, son of a gun."
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, <laughs>
2: Uh anyway.
3: Now I, I, I got, got along. I got I got in a ring with him. You know. But I've never sat at a table with him and had a meal or been in the bar with him or had a long conversation, you know, or travel with him. You know, I've never done that. You know. There was a lot of guys I travel with that I really enjoyed the companies. It was the Rock and Roll Express. They were you know, they were good guys, people like Kind of like to be around, and uh, and uh, there was a Wahoo McDaniel, and there was a, we did a lot of hunting together, and guys like that. But uh, for me, wrestling it was it was a job. It's just like you go to a factory and you work in a factory, and there's 300 employees. Well, you might get four or five that you're going to have something in common, and you're going to associate with. You know, the rest is you just salute them when you pass by. You know. And a lot of wrestlers were like that. You didn't get to know them.
0: And obviously, you know, with the NWA title, you, you held it for a couple months, but did you plan on a longer run with the title? Did you lose it at start? Oh, I didn't
3: really, I tell you what, once I had it, I didn't really care because uh, I don't look that. It. It, it, World's champion, man, that was no life for a guy. You know. It, you, you, if you look at the whole. whole uh, Black Jack Briscoe, for example, I think he quit, or, or he just he just played and didn't want it. I remember him telling me. I mean, he was gone. He never was home. He was in Japan one day. He was in California the next, and then he was here. It was, and uh, you know, uh, I guess Flair loved that kind of life. I would imagine. I don't know. He's been the champion many, many, many times, and uh, I think a lot of guys probably didn't want it. That's why you had it so much, you know, because uh, you're not you're not doing like the other guys. The other guys are traveling a different circuit. You're you're the world's champion. You're going all over the country, and like I say, Japan, Australia, uh, you know, different places. And now uh, here they go to Europe a lot. So, nah, that wouldn't be much of a life for me. I was happy i that's its what i what I set out to do and and uh, after that i I didn't really care hmm.
2: you know, somebody
3: lets somebody else uh,
2: <laughs> yeah Oh, yeah you know,
3: well we only have a certain amount of time to do things, and then after that just go on to something else, enjoy life, you know enjoy your friends, enjoy your family, and it's not a many millions you got, or, or is it I count, I rather count my friends than count my money. <laughs> you know, good friends you can't buy; they're hard to come by. Absolutely, and I'm fortunate. I, I made quite a few in the wrestling. You know, handful. You know, you, you, you if you tell me you got thirty some best friends, there's something wrong with you. You know, you're lucky if you got five best friends.
2: <laughs>
3: you know. Oh, there's a lot of friends, different uh, different types, you know. The friends that uh, you, you, they call you and you do anything any time of the day, you know, to help, you know. There was a lot of good people in wrestling. So was promoters. There was good promoters, honest promoters. There was other promoters that you couldn't believe a word they said, you know. They were like politicians. Couldn't believe a word they said, you know. <laughs> A lot of them should have run for office. I don't know. You ever heard of uh, the promoter that used to in Nashville, Tennessee? What was his name? Uh, 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 I can't even think of his name, there. You know, you know what I'm talking about. The guy that promoted wrestling in Nashville, Tennessee.
2: Um, trying to Back
3: in the uh, '70s, uh, Nick Gules,
2: Nick Goules. Oh, Gules, cool, Yes.
3: Yep. <laughs> you heard the name? Yep.
0: Jerry Jarrett. <laughs> you know it?
3: Yep. Yeah. Well, Jarrett was a good guy. I liked Jarrett. But it, it was an interesting business. Very interesting. Gus
0: wasn't a very good promoter? Wasn't trustworthy?
3: Oh, Lord. <laughs> no. No. Nah. Well, he was, he was kind of the joke of the business. You, know? you talk to a lot of old-timers, they'll tell you. You
2: know.
3: Don't believe a word he says. <laughs> hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I, I,
3: for uh, Angelo Papo as well. Angelo Papo. Angelo was a different kind of person. Well he didn't he he wasn't that a dishonest guy. He had a he had a different uh, outlook on life. You know. He was the only person that every day I heard him say that was his saying and he, I actually I think he believed it was uh, better rich and dead than poor and alive. <laughs> was, hmm. Yeah. And if you were broke, he had no respect for you.
2: <laughs>
3: oh, wow. Yeah, Better rich and dead than poor and alive. Well, like I said, we all got our ways, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't know, but I think poor people can be alive and have a good life, you know, and good time. Some people, money is their God. And I think that's what it was with him.
0: You know what I wanted to ask about um, about Flair about that feud. And I know when you were in the NWA, you kind of got that Hands of Stone nickname, which is just such an awesome, perfect nickname for you. Is that uh, from Flair? Who came up with the Hands of Stone? Because I feel like that's a, a you know almost perfect nickname.
2: The
3: uh, the one that started that was uh, Gordon Soley. Oh. That was Gordon Soley. Yep, yeah, he's the one that came out with that. Yeah, Gordon Soley was good with stuff like that. <laughs> he, he nicknamed a lot of it. He had words that people didn't even know existed about wrestling holes and all kinds. He was a very good... To me, he was the very best. You ever watch any of his stuff in the 70s?
4: I remember he was he
3: was announcing in Florida, even in the 60s and the 70s, and... and uh, uh, he was he was one of the best, and uh, I was in Atlanta, Florida, Georgia, and that's how it started. And he's the cause of all that.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it just
0: it just so was when they called you One Man Gang too. It felt like the perfect nickname for you. Yeah, now well, now. I, I, I was that was before they
3: had the uh, the one uh, the one to New York. Uh, what was his name? Akeem. Was it? Yeah, he was a, one he went game. to Bill, Bill Watts, Bill Watts called him the one-man game, yeah. I was the one-man guy back in the 60s, <laughs> 60s and the 70s, but there was one before me, there was one before me, a lot of people don't know that. Who was it? His name was Don Evans,
2: hmm.
3: yeah, Don Evans, yeah, he uh he retired. Don Evans was uh, like a guy back in the forties and the fifties and uh yeah, when I uh I think he I think he was retired in sixty five or sixty six. Yeah. You never heard of him? Don Evans?
0: No, he doesn't sound as as familiar. I'm definitely gonna look him up though for sure. I, I like the uh, like the, yeah, old, he was the old the old, one old, school, old school tough guys. Uh
3: uh-huh. He was the one man gang. But I uh, became the one man gang that uh, I guess uh, late sixties sixty nine, he
0: was out of wrestling.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, Yeah, you so you Yeah, go ahead. Oh I'm sorry, I was gonna say you know what's so funny That's about a- you be, you being the you know, the one man gang or being rugged or being the hands of stone, is that you played Miss Atlanta lively and you did that funny, you know, like cross dressing gimmick it, it's it's so opposite of Ronnie Garvin. Did you like playing that that character? Did you think that that was you know kind of funny, or or did you kind of enjoy that role?
3: I made money. I made a lot of money with it.
0: <laughs>
3: that was my day. That was the second time I did. I had done it ten years earlier. Nobody knows about it. <laughs> I, I I did it five different times. Yeah, I did it five different times. You know, it, it was a, it's entertainment. That was a, uh, you know, way to make money, you know. Absolutely. You make money, Why, well, well, you know, plus I had a good time doing it. That <laughs> was fun, you know, so different. You know, I even got dressed, and uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, we went to a bar dancing, and I was dressed like that, and uh, we were dancing <laughs> together, and they thought we were two lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd love to hear comments. I even had a guy pinch my butt in the oh, bar. Yeah, and then I uh, heard a couple of comments. Look at the shoulders on that on that broad.
2: <laughs> uh, we had a blast. <laughs> yeah.
0: Little do they know, uh, if you you know punched them in the face, they'd probably be waking up next
3: week. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I didn't wanna. <laughs> I didn't wanna let them know who I was. <laughs> we just had a good time with it. I mean, you know, it's uh it's uh, something different. And the infamous
0: uh Miss Atlanta Lively, which I think everybody probably remembers with uh J. J. Dillon in the closet, there was the uh Jimmy Garvin Precious Feud, Burk Flair's in the hotel room thinking he's gonna get precious and all of a sudden he gets Miss Atlanta Lively. Did you like
2: doing that <laughs> feud that was
0: that was one of the most funniest but memorable parts of that feud for sure.
3: J.J. Dillon in the pool (laughs) in the hot tub. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. But it's money. If it makes money,
2: why not? You know?
3: It it was, uh, it's always, wrestling was always showbiz, but now it it, it is so far,
2: uh, I don't know.
3: I don't know how to explain it. I don't even understand it. You know? Uh, Like I say, I haven't watched, but I hear people, uh, what I hear is mainly from older people, people my age, nobody likes it. They don't like, but I guess they don't draw a lot of people my age, you know? I guess most of the wrestling fans is young generation, you know? That's it. Because uh, when I go sign autographs at some of these places, people say, "Oh, well, we don't even watch it, it's terrible, it's horrible. You know, it's not wrestling, it's not this, well, it's entertainment. It might not be wrestling, but it's called entertainment. <laughs> Now, can you imagine in the 60s if a promoter you would have said it was entertainment? You would have got thrown out of there. You would have got fired. You would have and tell people this.
2: Was, it was entertainment. Definitely a well, different era. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, it, it, everything changes. Like I say, what's wrestling going to be 15, 20 years from now? You know, I'd be curious to I can't even imagine it, you know, because what they do today is, is, is uh, it doesn't make any sense, you know. I've, I've seen some, some clips of stuff, you know, and I'm going, my God, that's not wrestling. And uh, and uh, you know another thing, guys, uh, is a lot of guys, they all look alike. You know, there's not too many guys that got their own identities. Everybody dresses basically the same way. What's, you know... <laughs> Not exactly identical, but same kind of style. I don't know. I just and uh, in, and uh, in, I call it the trampoline act. <laughs> These right. unbelievable yeah. things.
0: Yeah, we we had on uh, Manny Fernandez not that long ago, and he was yeah you know, he basically saying the same thing. These guys all look alike. They dress alike. Uh, it's you know there's no psychology. Yeah. Uh, nobody. Well, you know, I, I go
3: by uh, uh, if you go back uh, say, in the sixties. And you were in the dressing room, and I was with guys like Kowalski, Hans Schmidt. Uh, you know, guys. I don't know if you remember Bull Montana, uh,
2: Bull Curry,
3: Wild Bull Curry, uh, Johnny Valentine, and Wahoo McDaniel, and, and and you were with guys that's uh, the Crusher, and and, and uh, you know, they all look different. They all look different. Every one of them. Was was his own? Uh, I mean, it was it was amazing, you know. And uh, n- nobody copied anybody. Now they all do the same moves. My God, I'm thinking the last time I watched a wrestling match, there was uh, I think 15 line in the whole program. Every match had clothesline, clothesline. That's all they know how to do. I'm going, man. There's hardly any wrestling. I don't know what it is now. It's probably even worse.
2: <laughs> I don't know.
3: You watch a lot of it.
0: Yes, definitely do. But it, I, I don't watch it with the same, you know, love as I did years ago. I like to actually watch more of the old school stuff than I do a lot of the new school stuff.
3: Uh-huh. It's like uh, you you hear, well, you know, two weeks before, the oh, this guy's going to be the champion. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> You're telling people who's going to be the champion? <laughs> uh.
0: No, hey, uh, it's no Starcade 86, you versus Big Bubba Rogers, I'll tell you that much.
2: Well, you know,
3: it's nobody knew. when I've been referred there was nobody knew, not even the wrestlers in the dressing room. You know, nobody knew. There was three people that knew and nobody else knew. You know, and, but I guess today it doesn't matter. You know, it's, uh, I'm surprised they still call it a sport. You
0: know. Well, sports, sports entertainment. But, you know, I mentioned um, Big Bubba. I mentioned Stark 86, and I was kind of leading with the, uh, Miss Atlanta Lively a little bit because that led into that big street fight. Did you like working a guy like Big Bubba? Obviously a, a big, you know, brooding guy, big stiff guy, a little bit young at that point. But uh, you guys had an awesome feud, very memorable with Jim Cornette.
2: Oh,
3: I remember that, yeah. Oh, that was easy. He just didn't know what he. He was just a big guy. Big guys are easy. <laughs> yeah, I always like wrestling big guys. It was more of a, you know, more of a workout. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's not too bad. He was a good guy. I met him later on, uh, and then I saw him about two months before he died. I ran into him, and uh, I didn't know him that well, but. Uh, Seemed to be a good guy.
4: He uh he had had
3: a wreck or something on a bike. He hit a deer, I think, broke his arms or something. Then then he died not long after that, I think a few months later.
4: Ah, he, he was, was a he was a big guy.
3: Yeah, I guess he did real well up in New York. In the WWE. hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a at in Atlanta, George. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, uh, some some. It's funny. How some matches you remember, and, and you forget so many.
2: <laughs> Out of thousands
3: and thousands, you might remember half a dozen, or maybe a dozen at the most. Because I have people come and tell you done this, you done that, and I have no recollection. But unless it's some like Mrs. Lively, well, you know, I hated to put the makeup because I couldn't get it off my face.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was the worst part, man. My skin got so So bad on my face, James. I said, "Man, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I'd be one of them that you see that never wears makeup." (laughs) Yeah, when you do something like that, it's it's, uh, it stands out. I mean, it's something you 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 don't forget. But wrestling matches, you know, I mean, I, I probably wrestle 200, maybe 300 times a year. 275 at least, you know. So you do that for 30 years, that's a lot of matches. It's pretty hard to remember, but, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, what's your highlights? Well, well, I remember being in towns that, uh, you know, sold out, and uh, I tell people, I don't know how to explain it, but say you're in a town that's got 40,000 people, right, Mm -hmm. and you sell out, you sell out, a gymnasium that holds 2,500 people, right? And uh, you are actually doing better than a guy packing Madison Square Garden in New York City. You have accomplished a whole lot more because look at the population in New York.
2: Hmm, true.
3: And look, look at the popular, Look at the people you can put in Madison Square Garden. And if I'm in a town that's got 40,000 people and I'm putting 2,500 in the gymnasium and it's sold out, I have accomplished more than selling out the medicines Square garden. Per capita, I'm talking about. You know, and a lot of people say, ah, I never thought of it that way. Well, you know, look at pay-per-view. They reach, you know, millions through the pay-per-view. You know, and that's what's, I think that's what saved wrestling. Because if they were just Relying, I think, on the buildings, the coliseums, and you know, uh, they're making bigger and bigger now. They got all these coliseum all over the country that we didn't have that when I started. You know, unless you went to New York and Madison Square Garden was the big building. Montreal Forum in Montreal was the big place. Uh, you know, every big city has a large building, but now look at the size of these coliseum twenty twenty five thousand people. You know. Uh, look at the dome, uh, what was it, In the, the first WrestleMania there, was that the first WrestleMania, the, the one that he, no, the one with Andre,
0: WrestleMania 3,
3: yeah, yeah, that was a WrestleMania. think, yep. yeah, Pontiac Silverdome, yeah, now that was an accomplishment, but they had a lot of population around, you know, you're talking about, uh, a lot of population around there, but that was, that was a great, uh, a great accomplishment. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about that. I've wrestled in smaller towns with uh, six wrestlers on the card, you know, and and uh, back in the '60s, and and you'd have a uh, fifteen hundred, two thousand people, you know,
4: you made a darn good living. You made a whole lot
3: more money than the average people. <laughs> people say, yeah, well, you didn't. Uh, uh, it's like my son. One time he looked. Uh, I had a book, but uh, I made twenty five thousand dollars in nineteen sixty. I don't know, 60, I was 22 years old, 21 years old, 66, 60, yeah, 66 67, $25,000. I bought a brand-new house in Tampa, Florida for 16500 and you could buy a Cadillac for 5000 with everything on it.
2: You know. So that was
3: a good year. But my son said, oh, you only made 25000 I said, yeah, well, you got to understand what things cost back <laughs> You know, it you paid
2: people to- a little
3: Well, it's like I hear people say, well, this so-and-so made a million dollars. Well, you know who the first guy to make a million dollars was? Who do you think made the first million dollars in professional wrestling? Uh,
0: Would it be Hogan? I'm not really sure.
3: Oh, no, he was not even born. Oh, wow. He might have been born. He was probably two years old. Gorgeous George.
2: Oh, okay. Gorgeous
3: George, was the first one to make, and die broke. You know, but it was the first one. That was money back then. It's probably like making $50 million today. You know, so for the times, yeah, for the times, that was, uh, to me, a whole lot more, more of an accomplishment in the 50s than it is today to make a million bucks. I mean, a million bucks today is still great, <laughs> but but a million dollars in the 50s bought you, bought you 15, 20 times more than and what you can get today for the same money, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: it was George,
3: he, he was a—he was way ahead of his time, and you get guys like that. Buddy Rogers, Buddy Rogers made a lot of money. Remember Buddy Rogers? Absolutely, yeah. The, Nature yeah. Boy, the original Nature Boy. Oh, it's Nature Boys don't equal his pinky when it comes to wrestling. Hmm. I hate to say that, but you know he's good for his time. You know, don't get me wrong for today's time. But if you, have you ever watched wrestling matches with Buddy Rogers?
0: Seen some uh, some matches. Uh, have you Bruno? seen a couple matches. Yeah.
3: Have you ever uh, you ever watched the one with Pat O'Connor, Comiskey Park, Chicago, 1963, I think, 61, 61, early 60s.
0: I think I, I saw um highlights of it oh. on an NWA, like an NWA compilation tape that they were showing all the title matches
3: oh he was to me he was to me it was, me, it was uh, probably the top I'd say, if he's not number one yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's hard to to say you're number one in any business like that because there was a lot of talent but in the top ten of the whole entire in my life anyway my lifetime. Yeah, he's, he's, he's probably one of the very best. This guy was, a, he looked apart. I had a, you know, he was not a bodybuilder, but he had a good physique, looked great, and uh, what a wrestler, what a guy. I mean, he was unbelievable. And, and, and also, he could talk. He was a very articulate guy. Very good interviews. There's a lot of people ask me, what do you think was the best? it's not even fair to ask who's the best because you're going to forget a lot of people that uh, don't ever get mentioned, you know. Yeah, I was always curious, what
0: was your relationship like with Dusty? I mean, obviously on screen, you ended up turning a heel on him, and then right after that, you seem to have uh, left the NWA. So what the, kind of, why did you leave the NWA, and what was your relationship like with Dusty?
3: Dusty was... Uh, yeah, <laughs> bless his soul. I'm not gonna say, it. but uh, no, nah, Dusty was was for Dusty. Dusty was Dusty, and and, uh, and uh, you know, I just uh, I did that, and just to make him look bad, because uh, he uh, I was booked with him after that, and uh, he went on te- <laughs> I went on tele- He went on television and uh, told people he beat me up in the bar. <laughs> that's what he told
2: him. yeah
3: I was supposed to wrestle him after they knocked him out in Baltimore Baltimore, Maryland yep yeah and uh, I got on the airplane we was gonna go to do the television and uh, I got on the plane he was he was on a different plane and we had private planes it was promotions. promotion anyway I told the guys I said I'm going home I just decided I'm going home and I quit I went home <laughs> and uh, that's when I uh, I think that's when I wind up at uh, Puerto Rico I believe yeah, I went to Puerto Rico and I went to uh, I don't know, I can't remember all the details but I just quit, this flat quit you know. so that's all he could say was that he beat me up in the bar he got his revenge in the bar I got beat up supposedly in the bar <laughs>
2: <laughs> no
3: proof. No proof, though. <laughs> nah, Dusty was just, bless us soul, rest in peace, and that's all. I, I just, I, everybody has their own way in life, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of guys that I get, you know, a lot of guys that they're in a position of power, and they abuse it.
2: Uh,
3: I never did care. That's I, uh, I one thing. I was a self-employed man all my life. Every place I wrestle, you're self-employed. You can go as you wish, and there's a lot of a lot of wrestlers used to complain all the time. That's said, well, you know, you're free to leave anytime. time. Nobody is holding you prisoners. But you know, if you want to be independent in life, you got to save your money. Because if you got money, you're independent. You can go wherever you want. You can quit. You can. Uh, and uh, I think there was a, some of the guys that. You know, just couldn't afford to do it, I guess. They hold you up, and then they know they got you. In the old days, there was no contracts like you up today. It was just a handshake. and You know, if their word was good, Jim Crockett Sr., you know, he was a very honest guy. Probably one of the most honest guys i ever ever dealt with.
1: You know, and it's it's interesting when you look at the guys that were in the NWA, and guys that you kind of crossed paths with throughout your career, and then, you know, we've already kind of discussed, you know, the end of your career being with the WWE and being up with Vince, but when you looked at that locker room, you saw guys like Dusty, and you saw Arnon and Tully, and even Barry Darso, Bill Eadie, but then you got another guy who you definitely had a relationship with, you definitely crossed paths with in the WWF, there was Andre the Giant. Could you share with us some of your memories and some of your times with uh, the great Eighth Wonder of the world?
3: Yeah, I, I always got along with Andre. He was a good guy, very good guy. But, you know, again, you know, he, I think he was a lonely guy. He, uh, he stayed mostly in hotels and traveled a lot. He, and I don't think he got to enjoy life to, to the fullest, you know. Uh, uh the way I understood him, you know, is he made a lot of money, but nothing was made for him. People don't realize that, you know. Here's a guy who can afford to buy anything he wants, and nothing is built for him. You know, you sleep in the bed, you know, the biggest king size you can have, and your feet are hanging over. you got a catty corner, you know, corner to corner to sleep on that thing.
2: Uh,
3: you know, yeah, he he had to be careful when he sat on chairs. You know, he didn't sit in cars. I mean he sat not comfortably, even in a limo. You know, uh yeah, I don't think he was uh he was a very a very nice guy and I think he knew that uh he was he was a very strong, powerful guy. And I think he knew that, you know. I think he knew that he could really hurt somebody. If he wanted to, I think he could have really hurt somebody real, real bad. You know, I wrestled him in Knoxville, Tennessee. I got videos of it. I wrestled him. That was I would have been in the seventies. He was in good shape then. I think seventy-seven to seventy-six, seventy-seven, around that time. And that's the only time I ever wrestled. him. And that's
1: matching. I, you know, you're and And his pure strength, and yeah you're right he you know there's always the stories of him being able to kinda you know when he wanted to really muscle up on somebody and kind of you know either straighten him out in the ring or or what he he could go ahead and do so, but do you think that you know being known as a giant that was he hesitant to do that, but if you had to yourself, if you had to teach him a lesson, you know is that something that you would uh, not hesitate to do as well, yeah well. You know it was a business he was
3: a business guy, and uh you know that you know what he did before you wrestled. He was a rugby player right yeah that so somebody discovered. can you imagine a guy like that playing rugby
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and i remember I
3: remember when he came he came to Montreal first, cause, uh what was his name to travel with him uh he was a french guy, big guy he uh, brought him to Canada to Montreal. And when he discovered him, you know, told him, he said, you'll make a lot of money in wrestling.
2: So, but he had a good
3: attitude, but he was he, had his, he was a very independent guy. He did pretty much anything he wanted to do, and I don't blame him. <laughs> you know, uh, he was the only guy who was allowed to drink in the dressing room. <laughs> you know, that was funny, you know, because you couldn't drink alcohol in the dressing room. A lot, a lot of promoters. He, he got fired, you know. And uh, he's. I'm talking about before, before the match. You know. He'd sit there, and play cards, and, and he could drink his wine. You know, he loved to drink. But he was a good soul, and a good heart, good-hearted guy. And uh, I had him over my house a few times. And just, yeah, you know, very gentle giant. But uh, I don't think I would have uh, done anything to upset him. Well,
1: you know, one thing I think we can say about you in this interview, you know, you are very, very modest about a lot of the things that you've done, a lot of the things, uh, you know, in your career. And this is one thing for the listening audience, and this is kind of to break the wall here. Go out of your way to watch the clips of Ronnie Garvin and Andre the Giant because, he might have been a gentle giant, but you guys kind of—you looked like you were beating the tar out of each other. And some of those knees to Andre—I mean, you—you uh, you guys really—you uh, guys made it. You guys made it—you enter- know—to use the word entertaining—it was definitely something. If you, guys, if you catch the clips of you versus Andre, I, I definitely suggest for the uh, the listeners to check those out because they are rough. Do
3: you know? Do you know what that match was? It was a handicap match. It was Royley Welsh and Andre the Giant against me. It was reverse. You remember you used to wrestle two, three guys? Handicap match?
2: Right. Yep.
3: Well, this match was the opposite. It was him and another guy against me. That <laughs> was in Knoxville, Tennessee. I tell people, they don't, a lot of people don't believe that, but I'm sure it's in the papers somewhere, newspaper uh, advertised or something. I don't think there's a... There's a video. I got the video, and... uh I got most of the match, uh, but, but there's got to be posters of that. There's got to be some kind of a. But it was a handicap match. You didn't know that, right?
1: I didn't know it was a handicap match. I just thought that somebody yeah. might be check, handicapped check. by the time it was over.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but check- check
2: that out. Really, that, that,
3: that was it. Was it was uh, uh, advertised as a handicap match? Roy Welsh, and the whole thing started. I broke Roy Lee Welsh's wrist. I think it was his wrist or his elbow. It was his, it was his arm or something. And he he had his arm in a cast. And uh, he challenged me. He says, I'm going to get me a partner, blah, 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 blah. I said, I'll wrestle anybody. I said, the Pope, anybody. I said, you go get whoever you want. And that's when he showed up with Under the Giant, you know. And, of course, that was going over the top. <laughs> I wasn't there. So, of course, when they went to the ring... Roddy Wells stood on the apron, and Andre was in the ring. He was going to do the wrestling, and Roy Lee was in his wrestling gear, I believe, but he had he had his arm in the cast, you know. And yeah, that's how he was booked. Handicap match. We did the opposite, which <laughs> uh, which is different. It sold out the Coliseum. Coliseum in Knoxville sold out. So again it's all about money <laughs> you know that's why it's a job
2: so
1: oh it's it but it's you know but those are you're, you know we consider you guys like the lunch pail guys you know that it is your job and that makes it more uh for the old school fan we we go we seek that out we go for that that's what you know john and i that's what we go after and you know, when like I said, you look at those guys that were in the WWF by the time you got there in the late 80s, and we mentioned Andre and all these other folks, but another guy who you crossed paths with, and we've already mentioned Angelo Poffo, but the macho man, Randy Savage, Randy Poffo, him also being in the WWF at that time. Now, did you guys still have a little heat between you by the time you got there, or was that all squashed by the time you arrived?
3: Well, it nah, was always a little bit of, yeah, it never went away. Him and I got in a, sit, in a fight in the, on the floor in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, some fans got hurt a little bit, and, and uh, yeah, it was a tag match, and that was uh, back in, oh Lord, I don't know, I, I want to say 1976, he was just starting, he was just starting. And then I went up there, and I, I, I owned 20% of that promotion, the Apostles. I had 20% of that promotion. So, yeah, that didn't last but, what, three years, I think, two and a half, three years.
2: Well, Randy Randy was a, a
3: good performer. He was a good, good wrestler. He looked good,
2: uh, you
3: know. He was just a funny cat. <laughs> he just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he trusted anybody. You know, he was always on the lookout for something, and and, and, and uh, I don't know, I, I, there was one guy, him and his dad, I have never been around people, uh, I don't know if they mistrusted everybody, or, or, I don't know, I never could figure that out, you know, of course I never was around him 24 hours a day, but. Uh, I, he was not acting when he was, uh, you know, just, just always uh, on the lookout. He, he reminded me of a uh, of, uh, some kind of a, I don't know, but like somebody was going to sneak up on him, you know. <laughs> he, he, he didn't look the type that was very relaxed, you know. <laughs> he's
1: got well, to switch to decaf, you know. He's a paranoid rattlesnake. He's uh that yeah, probably
2: like
3: somebody's yeah he he acted like a turkey on the lookout, you know what turkeys do all the time. they're always <laughs> turning their head right, left, right, left, <laughs> but uh nah, he, he well, he was very successful, you know, made money with him, I wrestled him quite a few times, you know, and again, you know the money was the bottom line you know, and I, I respect people, he, he, he was, he worked hard, he, too bad he died so, so young, you know, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do, the guy was a good performer, that's all I can tell you, I don't know him much about as I just watched him from a distance, and I said, you know, you and I a, a kind of, I shook my head, I said, you know, the guy. I never never met anybody like that. Of all the people you meet in your life, you know, there's a few that just stand out, you know. For whatever reason, I don't know. And uh, Lanny, his brother, was total opposite, you know. Lipping Lanny was just cool guy, and relaxed, uh, easy going, <laughs> you know, just total opposite.
1: It's a good thing about brothers—you never know which one, uh, you know, which personality you're going to end up with. But it's just kind of interesting when you hear your, you know, your career and you watch it. Obviously, like we have, you know, you see that it it was such a—it was a great job for you, and it was something that made you so, you know, it it just—it drove you to to make yourself better and to make your life better. But by the time you were finishing up, that a guy like the Macho Man or Andy Savage, who you had some issues with, was the champion at the time in the company that you were leaving when you you know when you left uh you know wrestling full time. Mm-hmm. But when the champion is the guy who's supposed to be driving the houses, did you think that the WWF, you know, and the in the, the schedule that they had, you've already established that that was crazy. Um but was the champion the guy really driving the ticket sales or was it more about the WWF at that point?
3: Uh there was uh, the WWF was. I never had wrestled WWE WWF at the time. You know, I never had wrestled. I almost went one time when Vince Senior was promoter. Was a promoter. I think it was in the seventies or something. I uh, thought about going there, and uh, but for some reason I never went. And it was something at the end there. Uh, I think the way I got there is Pat Patterson had called me. Somebody called me, and, uh, because I, I was, uh, I was out of the NWA, and I think I had came back from, from Puerto Rico, I believe, yeah, and I was in, the, I was in the States, and, uh, and that's how I got to go there, and, uh, I wasn't too thrilled about it, because I kind of knew I didn't fit there, you know, and, uh. Uh, a macho man fit there, you know. He had all his robes and his, you know, all the flashy stuff, and, you know, uh, I had a different style of wrestling, you know. I did, and, uh, you know, being on the mic was not my best, uh, you know. Uh, to me, the, to me wrestling, I was brought up on the old, when the bell rang, that's when the action is on, you know. All the entrance and all the rest, uh, the flashy stuff, and, you know, it didn't matter much. People came to see a fight. They're going to see a fight. You know, you want to see me dance? Well, you're in the wrong place because I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was uh, basically the, 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 the mentality, you know. And I, I went there and tried it out. And, and I am on an airplane, too, at the time. And that helped, you know. I used to fly myself everywhere. And... uh and that extended my career probably for another four or five years, you know, because, I, you know, these these commercial flights, they're not fun, really. You know, you do it day in and day out, uh, it gets old. Especially today, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't even do it one time. You know, I don't even fly commercial anymore. I'm on to drive, you know. I'm not taking my shoes. I'm not going through all this sit there for two hours before your flight, you know, yeah. I would have quit the business. <laughs> yeah, that would have forced me to quit the business right there. You know, life's too short. You don't need aggravations, you know. Eliminate them. You know,
0: it's funny, we were talking about the WF and the sports entertainment aspect, and, you know, you, you kind of said it didn't fit you, but one thing about it that I remember so well, and it's and it fit you perfectly. Was that feud with Greg the Hammer Valentine? I mean, man, you—that was that you was great. my that was my
3: idea again. Ooh, yeah, they to lead
2: each other up with those chops. That was my that was my idea of uh,
3: of uh, the the referee part. That was my idea because
2: you know I went there and I
3: said, man, what do you do here to get attention? I mean, they got all these monsters roaming around, and they got all these gimmicks and all these. There was more things going on that. Uh, You know, you're lost in there. You know, how do you get attention? And uh, I figured, well, you know, uh, Valentine was the guy. And that's how we uh, built up to the match where uh, I lost the match and I came back as a referee. And Vince liked it. I liked it. And they got me on the pay-per-view because pay-per-view was where the money was, you know. If you didn't make pay-per-view... You know, the big money was on the pay-per-view. By doing that, I got on pay-per-view. And uh got on the, uh, what, what do you call it, big event in the WrestleMania. I got, I got on two of them, WrestleMania. If I remember right. But, uh, that, that's where the, the bucks were. You can wrestle in these coliseums and they sold out. You're not going to make what you're going to make on pay-per-view. Right. Yeah, my my, my my whole career was nothing but a business, business deal, money.
2: <laughs>
3: it was just like I was going to, I was a roofer. let pretend I was a roofer. I got contracts and it's about money. I'm going to do a good job and I'm going to charge, I, I'm going to have a high price. <laughs> if I do a lousy job, I can't charge a high price. I won't stay in business, you know. Wrestling is, that's all it was to me is a business, you know. And uh, I could have went more places, but I've always stayed where I, my, where my goal, I was on line, in line with my goal. I was making what I wanted, what I was happy with. I wasn't searching for 10 million bucks. I wasn't searching. You'll get there, but and don't envy other people. If somebody makes twice what you make. Well, what do they wind up with at the end of the year? A lot of people worry about that. You know, I, I just, but I didn't worry about nobody else but me, you know. And never envy people. Never being jealous of people. That's the worst thing you can do. You start envying somebody because they got the bigger car and the bigger house, and uh, no, that's, that stuff doesn't work. Now, I remember Tully Blanchard. One time, he used to tell me, he says, "Ah, oh, you can't hang with the big dogs." I said, "Nope, sure can't, okay, man." I says, "I'm not. A, I'm a little tiny dog, and I'm a cheap little tiny dog." <laughs> he still tells me about that when I run into him yeah he had two Mercedes one for the wife and one for himself hmm so well well uh, okay go right ahead man <laughs> live the life <laughs> yeah. if I have a Mercedes back then it would have been parked anywhere I was on the road <laughs> you know so yeah, it's, life is uh, is is It's kind of a, uh, everybody has, I don't know how to explain it, but everybody has a life. They live it, and if if you was to write a book on everybody, uh, it's so different from one to the other, to the other, to the other, you know, what people do in their lives, you know, how they get to to their old age and uh, what uh, they accomplish, what they've done in a there's some people, it's total disaster. And you know, that's what I told my son. I keep telling him, and he's good. I, I, I'm very proud of him. I tell him, this is life from day one, when you go on your own, is decision, 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 Every day, You make decisions about this, about this, about that. You make the wrong decisions, well, at the end of your life, you're not, you're not going to be very happy. Financially <laughs> you might not be doing too well, you know.
2: It's a great point. That's a great
3: yeah.
0: point. Yeah. But if I could, um, go back a second to the uh, to Greg Valentine, too, because, you, you know, you mentioned being on pay-views, obviously, you know. No, you he was he
3: was, my, he, he was my kind of guy. I liked that oh, kind yeah. of wrestler.
0: When you yeah. guys chopped each other, I mean, boy, whew, you could feel it through the TV. You guys would light each other up. I mean, what a stiff feud, but it was awesome because you didn't necessarily see a lot of that at that point in the WWE. It was awesome. I mean, You guys had that submission match at the Royal Rumble, obviously big pay-per-view, and it was was something different for that era. But as far as you guys, you know, laying it in there thick, did you love that style, and did you love working with him? Because those matches were awesome.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked with Flair, my God. I I split his chest. He had about four or five cuts, and the skin was split. And uh, he never complained. He never complained. And Valentine never complained. I mean, that's, you know, that's uh
2: what are you in the ring there? i I was not in
3: a ring to do ballet dancing, you know. <laughs> and uh well you should have seen have you ever seen matches of his dad? Johnny Valentine? Oh, yeah.
0: No
2: yeah.
3: Oh Lord, you talk about brutal. <laughs> I wrestled, I wrestled him. you talk about brutal now. When he hits you, buddy <laughs> You were hit. <laughs> yeah, he could play you across the top rope and pounds you in the chest, and if you were out at the parking lot, you'll hear it.
0: <laughs> I remember a match that you had with Greg at MSG. Uh, I believe it was in 89. Well, obviously it had to be 89. Uh, it was one of the best matches of the 80s, and I think it was voted as, as such on this uh, message board. that. I was at. I think it was in the top 10 or maybe even top five matches of the 80s. But you guys, whew, even on the outside of the ring, you guys were laying it in thick. Yep. Yeah.
3: Well, you know, people pay to see a contest. People pay to come and see wrestling. You know, today, I don't know what they pay. I guess they want to see, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know how to describe it. But back in those days, you know, people wanted to see wrestling. They wanted to see a fight. They didn't come here to see somebody just uh, tiptoeing in the ring and, 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 you know, look like two old douchebags locking up and, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> jeez that's what I call it you know uh, you know and, and then, but, and then what, what I didn't like about wrestling there was promoters used to uh, book matches on television that one guy didn't even look like an athlete you know what I mean and uh, the other guy go out there and beat him to me that was demeaning to wrestling you know
2: well, you got a
3: guy that's 192 pounds. You know, he's got a pot belly, and and uh, y you, you can tell he's not athletic. He, you know, he has no ability whatsoever. They uh, they put him in a ring with this guy, and this guy just beats the living hell out of him and pins him. Well, you haven't beaten anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Lord, I mean that's they used to do a lot of that. That was my only beef about wrestling. I said you don't see that in any other sports. You know, you don't. You don't see that in any other sports. But in wrestling, my God, there was guys that should have never been in a wrestling ring. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen some of them. Yes, big time. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, and and you're going, you know, geez. Uh, To me, that was unbelievable. You know, and I know that the poor guy probably wanted to become a wrestler, but, you know, guys shouldn't go in a ring until you look like you're a wrestler. You look like you can beat somebody. You look like you at least you can run five miles, or you can uh, run up uh, 500 flights of stairs and and, uh, do something, you know. Bench at least 250 pounds, you know. Uh, Some of those guys, man, they just, oh, I I, I used to cringe when I saw stuff like that. That was the only thing about the old days I didn't like, you know. I guess they still do that today. I don't
0: know. It's a, it's a different world out there. It's definitely you know it's not the golden age of wrestling like you know back when you're prime and the NWA and even that great Valentine feud uh, for sure. But you know as I as I start to wind it down a bit here, I know you were mentioning that uh, you know it was a job to you and, and you're very humble about how great you were and how memorable you were. But do you have a couple of favorite matches? I know you said there are more highlights than matches, but do a couple of the matches or maybe moments stick out to you as being some of your favorites in the business?
3: I've got a lot of them. Uh, you know, but I remember Jake the snake. Oh Lord. I wrestled that guy, man. Uh, when I was in Atlanta, Georgia to the TBS superstation. I don't oh, yeah. know if you remember that. Georgia. Oh, I, I, I wrestled Jake the snake all over Michigan, Ohio, the Georgia, uh, yeah, what a guy. I wrestled the great Malenko. The great the great Malenko to me was probably one of the top ten guys in the country. You don't ever hear about him. You remember the great Malenko?
0: Oh, yeah, Boris Malenko.
3: Oh, Lord, man, what a... I made money with that guy. Uh, great Valentine, Ted DiBiase in Georgia, Ohio, Michigan. I made money with... Man, I mean, what matches... You know, and Tolly Blanchard. Tolly Blanchard, the three the four horsemen. You know, the four horsemen. And, jeez, what was it, uh, uh, which Anderson? Arne Anderson. What a talent, you know. What a talent. Oh, you had some guys that I really enjoy, like uh, Mr. Perfect. What a guy. Man, what a us. Yeah, it is, and I'm sure I'll forget some. You know, there, there was a lot of good, good, talented guys.
0: It was definitely the the golden age, and you mentioned uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Didn't you guys do an angle where you, you mortgaged your house in order to get a rematch against them?
3: Yeah, something like that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, there's so many things. I've, some come back to my mind, but, but I remember wrestling and My God, that's <laughs> We beat the dog shit out know, each other. I come back, we had strap matches. And I remember coming back, I had whelps all over my body for weeks. And he did too. <laughs> we just strapped each other. Yeah. But you know, you want to make money, you, you, you know, you you got to put an effort in whatever you do, you know. And if you don't keep your body in shape and then, you know, I used to love, an hour match was nothing to me. You know, I'd I didn't care I wrestled I wrestled uh, Ric Flair one uh, one Sunday afternoon we wrestled for one hour and I wrestled him at night in another city we flew for another hour it was two hours in one day wow yeah. yeah yeah that was that would have been about 87 I guess yeah I think we went to Cleveland and then from Cleveland Ohio we went somewhere else but anyway we I remember flying, and, but it was two-hour matches. I mean, wrestled two hours that Sunday. That was a that was a good Sunday. That's the way I look at it. You know, good <laughs> Sunday. It's painful, but good Sunday. Very rewarding. <laughs>
0: Especially for those fans that I got to witness that chop fest for an hour. That would be unbelievable.
3: Yeah. That's one thing I can say about him. He he, he was in shape. You know, uh, I don't know about the rest of his life, but I'll tell you what. Uh, he was in shape. Because I remember I used to be able to get him. Remember the Stairmasters? Oh, yeah. Yep. The machines in the gym. I used to program the thing on high and do one hour on it. And I saw him in the gym one time. He was doing that, too. Yeah, I'd do an hour nonstop. As high as I could get that machine. Well, working out, you know, is important. It's, it's good to work out with weights. But if you're not condition, you know, thirty minutes into the mass, man, you should be just be warmed up. You know, <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like that line that uh, they used to say about Greg Valentine. It takes him about twenty minutes to get warmed up.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of guys. There was some guys that was in tremendous shape. You know and uh and and you- you could tell too, you know that's the macho man was in good shape, you know you had guys that could could go a long time you know never run out of gas hmm. and i thought, I think it, uh, it it affects your work when you're in good condition, people can tell you know and and plus I don't think you get a, you get hurt as bad the better condition you can put your body in. I'm still walking, and I, I, I don't hardly have any problems, so I'm very fortunate, very fortunate, because I run into guys, and they say, man, you haven't had any knee replacement, you haven't had an elbow, I said, I never wore knee pads, I never wore elbow pads either, you know, today they're all wrapped up, you know, elbow pads, knee pads, that's something I never wore. So I I guess I'm one of the lucky ones,
0: you know. Hmm. Very, very lucky and and a very great career. And, you know, before you kind of mentioned, you know, your son is doing well, which is really good. But I wanted to to ask you about your stepson, uh, gorgeous, uh, Jimmy Garvin, Jimmy Jam Garvin. Now, I think a lot of people don't realize that he was your stepson, right? Everyone probably assumed that he was your brother because of the angle on TV.
3: Yeah, I guess, yeah, when I, when I married his mother, he was, I think he was 13 years old or something, you know. Uh, I haven't seen him in, Lord, probably 15 years, maybe. Oh, wow. I, I don't know, no, we never kept in touch. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I heard that he was uh, even flying flying for US Air one time, I believe, because uh, he, he was a pilot also. But I haven't seen him, we never kept in touch. I don't know where he's at, where he lives, or, you know. Well, kind of life takes a different direction, you know. So I I don't know. But, uh, yeah, he he was uh, 13, he was just a kid. I think he had, uh, he was in Tampa, Florida. And I think him and Mike Graham had wrestled uh, in an amateur match. The trying amateur, amateur wrestling back then. You know, uh, in high school, I think, or something. I can't remember all the details. But him and Mike Graham were about the same age. You know who Mike Graham was? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think him and Mike were the same age.
2: Yeah, that
3: was a, that was a funny uh, summer that, uh, that time we did that thing about uh, with Flair and Precious. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some good memories. That was uh, very, very memorable, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was another one that he did with, uh, what was his name? Man? Uh, crazy guy. Well, he had a crazy gimmick. He used to roll his eyes in his head and all that. And, short, stocky guy. He's from
0: Boston.
3: Kevin Sullivan. He (laughs) grabbed him one time and took off with (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) him. Kevin Sullivan. Uh, That's a guy I haven't seen in ages. I guess he's still living, is he? Oh, big time. Yeah, he's doing very well. Is he? Great, great. Oh, Lord, I probably wouldn't recognize him. I haven't seen him... I think the last time I saw him I think it was in in Georgia, way back then. eighties. Yeah, I'd say thirty five years probably.
1: He still looks the same. I think you'd catch him. You'd uh you'd see him because he's still pulling off the uh you know, the the devil look. He's uh he's actually Oh is it? <laughs> yeah, he works for a promotion now that uh he's still doing, you know, like the uh he basically is taking on the uh the king curtis role of being you know the uh, the devil uh, mentor now to uh
2: uh-huh. to up and comers
1: so he's uh, uh-huh. he's still uh-huh. at it so you know as we uh, as we start to wrap it up here and we uh, we take the towel off we throw it into the crowd and we get ready to uh drop the old garvin stomp on this interview <laughs> <laughs> when you look back at everything and you kind of, you know, you, you like I said before, you are maybe the most humble guy we've ever spoken to because of the career you've had. And as fans of yours, we can obviously, uh, we'll live it for you, man, because we loved it. But what do you think the fans are going to look back and think about Ronnie Garvin, you know, at the end of the day when professional wrestling's done and finished? What is Ronnie Garvin's legacy left in professional wrestling?
3: Well, they can say that... Uh... Ronnie Garvin loved what he'd done in life.
1: You know,
3: uh, everything I did pretty much been success, successful. And I think the good Lord kept me healthy. Uh, I've always loved the wrestling fans. I've always uh, said without them, what would I be? Uh, I always put 110% on everything i ever done. And, uh, It worked out. I'm a very happy guy. I get to do a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing, enjoying life. I had two careers, a flying career, a wrestling career, uh, many, many, many friends, obviously a lot of wrestling fans. So I'm very thankful and uh, consider myself
4: a
2: very, very, very lucky
4: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.